Cartridge Radio, presented by MegaWare Keel Guard, the industry's first do-it-yourself keel protector. Hey, everybody. Thanks for downloading us here at Bass Edge Radio. Once you have listened to the show, be sure to stop by KeelGuard.com and learn how to protect your boat from rocks and road debris that can be harmful to your watercrafts. The Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight has a pretty cool twist today as we discuss bass fishing with a former NFL player and get his take after he's just concluded his first year on the trail. My popcorn is ready. Let the show begin. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Powerpole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Powerpole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Powerpole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. Powerpole, swift, silent, secure. Visit Powerpole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. Events broadcast in three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. Dude, what in the world? I feel like I've got to get out my best of Elvis collection. Where in the <laughs> yeah. world did you get that voice from? We're grooving. We're grooving this way. Ain't nothing but a hound dog. Oh, good <laughs> lord. Come on, Aaron. We got a feel going right here. You got to roll with it, brother. Yeah, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll right onto the volume button and <laughs> keep our listeners from being so pained by that. Look, man, it's exciting. You know, winter's coming for down here in South Texas. I'm feeling a little chill, doing some action at Toledo Bend, having some fall fishing fun. What's going on with you? I am just days away, actually, from heading to Lake of the Ozarks, which is one of my favorite places to fish this time of year as we head. We're kind of on the tail end. I'm actually going to be there during the week of deer season in Missouri. So, um, nice. Yeah, that's one of my favorite times of year to fish because, quite frankly, there's a lot of people that's in the woods that's right and it's the only time to fish lake of the ozarks if <laughs> you get that right thrown around by the yachts traveling around that place so man that sounds like a good time too you mean little jerk bait action in the fall little square billing how are you going to attack that i'm hoping they're going to be on a top water if you can believe that square bill will definitely come into play but uh i'm, I'm going for the top water that's awesome hey i want to say real quick to bass edge nation we have been rocking with the listener questions and we wanted to keep rolling men and and uh, we have had a really cool question come in today. And the expert scientist in the water here at Bass Edge, Bob Lusk, the Pond Boss. You got to check this guy out, pondboss.com. He is uh, just knower of all things having to do inside the water, vegetation, fish, all those kinds of things that you need for your ponds. And uh, we're going to bring him in today to answer a really cool tech question we got from one of you listeners. So let's bring Bob Lusk on the phone for the O'Reilly Auto Parts listener question segment. Bob, welcome back to Bass Edge Radio. It's always great to have you on the show. 
Oh, my gosh, guys. It's a thrill to be hanging out with you guys today. Thanks for letting me play. Bob, it's always great to have you. And, you know, this question is is really interesting, probably the one of the most technical questions maybe we've ever had here on Bass Edge. That's why, of course, Aaron and I had to bring you in, Bob, because we're just not that tech. So this question comes from Anthony Geis in Southwick, Massachusetts. Okay, Anthony asks, hey, guys, I've got a couple questions regarding aquatic vegetation. I've been fishing a pond regularly for the past several years to the point of a self taught limnologist. Okay, maybe not, but I have to have sufficient knowledge of this body of water. I keep records of every outing and have found yearly disparities with the growth of American pondweed. From year to year, the weeds will either be smaller in size, move slightly from their original position, or be completely non-existent. But then the following year, I scratch my head finding the vegetation is back where it was the year prior. I find it ironic in two circumstances. The first one, American pondweed is a perennial and is rooted. And the second, the bladderwort, which is also present in the pond, is a free-floating annual, and every year it's in the same location. I'd assume the rooted perennial would be consistent and that the floating annual would not be, but this clearly isn't the case. Would a lack of nutrients in the pond substrate cause a change in growth for the American pondweed? As a true New Englander, I'm already getting the itch for ice fishing and also want to know if there's a specific type of grass fish would prefer during the hard water season. Bob, what do you got for Anthony? Hey, Bob, before you get into that, could you um, use your dictionary or thesaurus and explain about 10 of those words that Kurt just read off there? Because I, I, I don't understand them. Anthony, Anthony, why don't you pitch out a question we can talk about? Good gosh, man, what a great question. i tell you what, it's thrilling to see guys that will get that serious so that they can really begin to wrap their brains around the habitat. This is really a habitat question, I think. So let, let's go this way, if I can remember all this stuff. American pondweed, but it seems to move around, and it's a perennial. I think that's the question about the American pondweed. American pondweed, it's a plant with a stem, and then they have these leaves that are four or five inches long, sometimes as big as seven inches long. It'll grow up and then lay flat on the surface, and it grows kind of in mats, typically in shallow water. It grows in maybe water two to three feet deep, sometimes four feet deep, depending on how clear it is. To understand American pondweed, or any aquatic plant for that matter, there's several principles that people need to know especially when you ask a question about it moving around as a perennial that's a rooted plant. You'd think it'd be like a tree. A tree grows there, the leaves fall off, the leaves come back, the tree gets bigger, the leaves fall off next fall, then they grow back and the tree gets bigger. That's not the way it works with aquatic plants. There's three things that aquatic plants have got to have. They've got to have food, they've got to have sunlight, and they've got to have the right temperature. When those three things come together, then aquatic plants grow, and it's no different for American pondweed. Let me tell you this. American pondweed is my number one favorite aquatic plant across the United States. Now, some places, it's an invasive plant. And in the Northeast, his, I think he said he was from Massachusetts. That's an invasive plant in that part of the country. But where I live in Texas, it's a native. It's one of my favorites. It's got all the ingredients, you know, for aquatic insects. It's got spaces where little bitty baby fish can hide. But the answer to his question is this. Just because it's a perennial doesn't mean that it's going to stay in the same place because it reproduces by seeds and roots. So if you get a pond with a one-foot fluctuation in the water level, then the aquatic plants are going to move around a little bit. 
And just because you don't see them this year doesn't mean you won't see them next year because they give off seeds. American pondweed reproduces with roots, fragmenting, and with seeds. As a matter of fact, they have this little seed pod that sticks up about three inches out of the water. Ducks love it. Ducks eat the seeds, and they'll actually move it around. Now, the contrast to that question he's asking about is bladderwort. Bladderwort is free-floating. It's not normal for that to stay in one place. You get a storm that blows through with heavy winds, bladderwort goes from, from this cove to that cove. A cool little fact about bladderwort, this kind of off-topic a little bit, is it's got these little bladders in it that have gas in it, air, that makes it float so it can move around. It, it's, it looks like a matrix. If you were to take a uh, Brillo pad and spread it out really fluffy, that's kind of how bladderwort is. But the cool thing about bladderwort is it eats insects, kind of like it's a plant with, with the little bladders and insects attached to it, and it grabs the insects and digests them with acid. That's part of how the bladderwort eats. But the answer is the American pondweed reproduces by seeds and roots and fragments, so it has the ability to move. And if it doesn't have sunlight penetration or the temperature's not right, like this last year, it was cold longer. We had six more weeks of wintertime than we normally do across the United States. That pushed everything back. So there was most likely a different plant that was trying to compete with that American pondweed that made it move. So the bottom line is the way that it reproduces, fluctuation in water level, and it could be something to do with the nutrients that feed it. That's the answer to that question. Man, Bob, that's pretty awesome. I think of one thing that is really important to me when I see American pondweed in the water, and that is, where is my frog? <laughs> that, that's the first Bingo. thing I think yeah. about. Folks that don't know, American pondweed, you know, great ways to fish American pondweed is frog fishing and also uh, flipping and pitching. You know, the fish will get down into that stuff. As Bob mentioned, you know, it's matted up on top and uh, flipping and pitching, you know, a big heavy weight is also a great way to penetrate that. Now, I'm not sure I know uh, too much about bladderwort. Aaron, do you have any experience with the bladderwort? I do not. I am intrigued, though, to hear Bob's response on because uh, it's a little hard to throw a frog on hard water and that's kind of what he's alluding to that he's getting the itch for ice fishing you know when he comes back and anthony asks is there a specific type of grass fish preferred during the hard water season does grass really come into play bob when there's ice on the water no it really doesn't i tell you what's going on with fish under ice is they're looking for two things and the most important thing they're looking for is temperature and the second most important thing they're looking for is oxygen. And keep in mind, water is its most dense at 39 degrees. So if you take a gallon of water at 39 degrees and you weigh it, it's heavier than water at any other temperature. That's why ice floats. So the water beneath the ice is warmer than the ice, or it would be ice. And when you start, especially in New England and along the northern part of the country, if you check the temperature of water under the ice, Getting toward the bottom, it's close to 40, 41, 42 degrees. And they're after that warmer water. The caveat to the grass is they're not really seeking cover. They're seeking survival. And they'll eat. That's why you catch them. You know, they'll feed, but they're slow. The downside to grass under the ice is it photosynthesizes. So what that means is it's got to have sunlight to produce oxygen. But as soon as that sunlight goes away, plants consume oxygen. And, you know, I don't know how many ice 
fishing places he goes to than Anthony does. But if your ice is not crystal clear, aquatic plants are a problem because when you get snow cover on top of ice that blocks the sun, then the plants become consumers of oxygen. And that's part of what can cause winter kill, especially in smaller bodies of water in the north. So it's kind of similar, Bob, to what we talk about when there's not ice. You know, any time that you see, let's say, that there's not sunlight or the water is dingy or you start seeing plants die down, they're actually consuming, they're actually depriving the water of the surrounding areas. And that's why oftentimes there's probably not a lot of bait fish and, you know, bass that's hanging around those areas. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Now, there's some anomalies, you know, out there. I mean, how many times have I checked oxygen in the middle of a hydrilla bed and the oxygen seems like it's zero, but it's teeming with bait fish? But I'm going to tell you this, day in, day out, under the ice, when plants are respiring rather than photosynthesizing, they're using oxygen and giving off carbon dioxide. It's not a matter of if, it's more of a matter of when it becomes a stressful environment for fish. So if I were managing ponds for ice fishing, I'd do everything I could to be rid of aquatic plants going into the wintertime. Wow, that's extremely interesting, you know, and uh, I almost feel like, guys, we should get continuing education credit for this or something. I mean, this is a, this is a high, <laughs> high-level answer. <laughs> and thank you, Anthony, for sending in this high-level question. Very nice to see the great feedback from Bass Edge Nation. And, uh, Anthony, don't forget to be sure you contact us here at Bass Edge and let us know that you heard your question answered by Bob Lusk, the Pond Boss, on today's show, and we'll send you that $100. O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card in the O'Reilly Auto Parts, the professional parts people listener question segment. Well, Bob, as always, you know, today especially, I am so glad that you are a friend of Bass Edge and that we have you to lean heavily on as you did all the heavy lifting today for Anthony's question. Great to have you. Hey, Aaron, Kurt, thanks, fellas. Ring my number anytime. Thanks, Bob. We'll definitely do that. It's time to move on into another techie segment brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com and the Marine Tech Minute. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. is a man whose intelligence is so mind-blowing, he made his own antidote. And Tylenol, well, they requested the patent. Chief Chemist Mark <laughs> Nagist of Lucas Oil Products is here for this week's tech tip, presented by none other than ProtectTheHarvest.com. Ray from Terre Haute, Indiana asks, what are the advantages and disadvantages of synthetic oil? Okay, well, the advantages of synthetic oil are that they're what we refer to as very thermally stable so that the oil doesn't degrade when it's submitted to very extreme high temperatures. Synthetic oils also are very oxidatively stable, which means that if they're subjected to oxygen, it extends the life of the fluid. Synthetic oils typically have extremely good cold temperature properties, which in certain areas of the country are very important. One thing that synthetics, there's a disadvantage to it, is that synthetic 
synthetics oftentimes are not formulated properly. Uh, when you talk about synthetics, you talk about a certain portion of it being a polyalpha olefin, which is a synthetic component. And depending on the concentration you use, you need to use a second component, which is referred to as a diester. The PAOs actually cause seals to shrink. And if you don't put in the diester component, which causes seals to swell, then you're going to have a major problem. So the seal swell property, the diester kind of counteract the shrinkage properties of PAOs. So the formulation of the synthetics is extremely important. It has to be balanced properly in order to perform. The only other disadvantage that I'm aware of with synthetic oils is in the use of uh, aircraft piston oils, especially with high concentrations of lead. Uh, there's always a concern that the lead will, may not solubilize completely into the oil itself, and that could create a problem. Well, Mark, hey, that's really good to know. I got to tell you, you've got a vocabulary as big as the state of Texas. But thank you very much for your answer, and thank you, Ray, for your question. We will be right back with more Bass Edge Radio. Two fishermen came together with one agenda to construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish with our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride extreme rough water just doesn't exist we're not just building a boat we're building a legend legend boats This is BASS, Angler of the Year, Greg Hackney, and you're dialed in to Bass Edge Radio. In our Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight, we get the opportunity to talk with a retired NFL star looking to climb the ranks of professional bass fishing. A big Bass Edge welcome to Gerald Sensiball. Gerald, thanks for taking time to chat with us today. Oh, thanks for having me on. Well, hey, Gerald, you know, there was a lot of talk early this year when you had your pro bass fishing debut in the BASS Open events. And really now that that season is complete, is professional bass fishing really kind of what you expected? Kind of in a way, it's a lot more mentally tough. Playing from football, you know, that was all physical and took some mental stuff. But um, bass fishing just seems like it's so mentally challenging. I mean, I've been out there frustrated. You go through all the different emotions. You'll be so happy catching a big bag. You have to deal with adversity. It's just all these different highs and lows at once. And it's pretty awesome, to be honest with you, but it can be challenging at the same time. My favorite part is driving from place to place. How have you enjoyed that aspect of it? <laughs> I, I feel like a trucker, you know. I've been <laughs> over to Vermont, uh, been out to Alabama, Florida. You know, the gas card stays getting used. It stays hot. <laughs> <laughs> You've kind of obviously awesome career. You know, what average NFL career is probably like three years. And uh, to be able to... Spend eight in that league is a huge, just outstanding accomplishment. You felt the grueling competition as a Dallas Cowboys safety. You know, football, you kind of alluded a little bit to the mental side of, of bass fishing. And football, obviously, it's a shorter-term focus. You got three hours of game time once a week versus bass fishing. You know, there's an eight-hour day, multiple competition days in a row, not to include you really have to practice harder than you do in game time, you know, as far as fishing goes, so you can get out there and find the fish. You're up daylight to dark. What are some of the similarities or differences as far as you know strategy and preparation and really how does fishing stack up do you see fishing and bass fishing as a legitimate sport i mean it's definitely a legitimate sport i mean guys put their time in you're competing there's a definite winner 
it's definitely, you know, a legitimate sport. But, you know, like some of the similarities, pretty much film work. In football, you might come home, watch a lot of film. You watch pretty much the whole day is spent on film and developing your game plan of how you're going to attack the next team. Similar in bass fishing, I mean, most of the time you're sitting there just thinking at home, reading up on the Internet, doing math studies, you know, that's pretty similar in the aspect of both sports. But, uh, you know, like some of the differences are bass fishing, I'm not getting beat up as much, but at the same time, it can be mentally frustrating. You have so many highs and lows like I was speaking on before, but um, it's definitely a legitimate sport, and I'm just glad to be a part of it and glad to be doing it. Hey, Gerald, really taking a look back at, at your NFL experiences, you've had a very successful career in interacting with sponsors and organizations as a public figure. What do you see a pro angler might be able to do better to grow? grow the awareness or raise the bar of this sport. Obviously, we're not in the caliber of, of a NASCAR or an NFL or Major League Baseball or golf or some of those other things. But really, you know, if you can lean a little bit on that NFL experience, how do we raise the bar of this sport in general in the public eyes? NFL, it all starts with little leagues and youth. And I believe bass fishing, getting more of the youth involved, finding ways to get the youth involved to where um, just spreading the hobby in general out there, I think that's pretty much where it would have to start. You know, they're doing a good job of having these college competitions, the high school competitions. I see bass fishing on an uptrend right now. One thing I wish that they could do is find a way to record it live. I know it might be impossible through the eight hours of TV scheduling, and, you know, it would probably be pretty costly, but if there was a way they could film it live, that would be awesome. You know, that's where a lot of sports have the upper hand on fishing is that you get to watch them live. I know we get to see, like, bass tracks and all this other stuff, but, um, you know, nothing's like seeing it live. And I think it could really take a jump if somebody could invest into showing it live. But I know that would take time, and that's pretty hard to do. But, you know, once again, you know, just starting with our youth, and that's how I learned about fishing was just from being young. It taught me a lot growing up. It still a lot of great values that uh, I think all you can need today instead of being in front of video games and all that stuff that need to be out there on the lake getting touch with nature. Well, certainly nature is one of the best teachers out there and, and you really segued right into the next question as I'm always intrigued, Gerald, by you know someone's introduction to the sport and looking at your bio, really for you, it was more or less a trip back in 2011 on Lake Douglas that got your blood flowing for bass fishing. Fishing, you know, at least in the competitive side. And now that you can look back a few years, what are some good techniques for beginning anglers to start honing their skills? You know, yeah, I was a trip in on Douglas. I had the chance to take a guy to trip with Todd Defoe. And, uh, you know, I was in the bass fishing. I had a little aluminum boat before then. And uh, me and my buddy were just like, man, let's try to find somebody that's good with bass fishing. So we looked on the internet, got in contact with Defoe. He took us out. And I was kind of like that little kid at the NFL stadium. Like, I want to be like this guy. It was just crazy watching him. He was able to cast and his decision-making and we were actually catching a lot of that. But, um, you know, as far as getting into the sport, you know, I started off with throwing the Texas rig worm, throwing crankbaits, and now I've been venturing off with all these different crazy techniques. But, um, you know, once you get out there, you start reading the water, getting in touch with what you're confident with. There's quite a few techniques that are pretty easy ways to catch, you know, like shaky head, drop shotting is pretty easy, throwing crankbaits and worms and stuff. It's just getting comfortable. But everybody has a different style. You have finesse fishing and power fishing and just whatever's comfortable. I learned that you can pretty much catch bass on anything as long as you're presenting it right. You just have to figure out that 
that niche of what you can present the right way. That's good advice right there. And through your years in the NFL, obviously you were highly decorated with awards, Of one of which you know I, I do want to bring up Best Vertical Leap Ever in the NFL Combine. What was that, like 46, 47 inches or something like that? Yeah, I think I still have the record. It was 46 inches. Growing up, that was always one of my bigger attributes. I was always able to jump, different basketball, I was able to dunk, it went dunk contest stuff like that. It was one of the bigger attributes that I've had just all throughout. But yeah, I do have the 46-inch uh, vertical <laughs> combine record. Dude, it's awesome how laid back you are about that. I mean, you, you think about how many athletes have obviously been through the NFL combine. That's freaking amazing to be able to jump that high and, and have that ability. I also was reading up on all of our guests, right? And uh, I think you started your college football career at ETSU, if that's correct. And I saw where you blocked three punts in one game. That had to have been a pretty fired up day for you. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I guess they couldn't block me. In that. That's because you were jumping over them. <laughs> <laughs> I have blocked a field goal jumping over against the Vikings one time. But uh, I think at the time, that was an NCAA. That tied the record blocking three punts in one game. That was pretty cool. But, you know, we still lost that game. I don't know how. And, like, two of them went back for touchdowns. But that was another great accomplishment that I had when I was in college. Well, speaking of all the accomplishments, which is the bigger rush? Making that big play like the block or a big hit or an interception or, you know, landing a, a five-pounder that really is going to put you in contention to win? I don't have to say they're both the same. The way I would measure a rush is whatever you do after that happens, you know, it's the sporadic thing that you do. I mean, we all, we catch a big interception, guys run up around, get the football, spike it, they might dunk the goalpost, I don't know, they do something just sporadic. And, you know, we all, we've all caught that five, six pounder where you just go crazy, you start shaking, you just start yelling. I mean, there's nothing comparable to getting an interception like that and to catch a big fish, especially in a tournament. I mean, I've caught them before where I just started shaking. You just can't wait to get to the scales. You know, you just can't wait to see the highlights on ESPN the next day. So, they're both comparable, man. I mean, I don't know. I, I love I love getting both of them. Obviously, now I need that five pounder more than interceptions. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He's looking for five pounders now all the time. No more interceptions. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Hey guys, let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with professional angler Gerald Sensibaugh. Oh 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 O'Reilly. Oh, Eventually, it's going to happen. You'll turn the key and your engine won't start. Don't lose your ability to get around. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts for a super start battery. Whether it's a reliable economy, hardworking premium, or powerful extreme, you'll find it at an everyday low price. Don't let a dead battery slow you down. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Bass Edge, presented by MegaWare Keelguard, returns with former Dallas Cowboys safety Gerald Sensible in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products. From real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, visit them at lucasoil.com. It works. Gerald, you fished the open events, as we discussed earlier, and you drove a Dallas Cowboys-wrapped Triton. That's pretty awesome, by the way. What kind of reaction did you get from fans around the country when you're traveling from event to event? Oh, man, it was pretty crazy. You know, uh, I'll get cars driving up taking pictures and uh, the crazy thing is like a lot of times that when I was stopping to get gas people come look at the boat and they would just look at it and it would take them a minute to kind of process everything and they would be like is that you 
I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Man, I know you played. Uh, you know, I always fuck up a conversation. I remember one time I was at a gas station. There had to be 20 people kind of gathered around the belt taking pictures. I can't even remember where I was. But um, one thing about the Cowboys, you know, I probably I had chances to play a little bit longer, but um, I want to retire Dallas Cowboys because I knew I was going fishing. I didn't want to dilute my thing, and um, you know Jerry and organization they allow me to use the rap and also allow sponsors, you know, just to get my name out there and just to get more publicity, get more, you know, get the eye on the boat. And I'm thankful for that, and it seems to be working out pretty well. But yeah, it's probably one of the most popular boats when we're out there. I mean, so how many questions have you got when you pull up to the gas station? Is hey, uh, you going to a boat race? <laughs> Mostly, a lot of people are like, at first, they're like, man, where did you get that done? I need to get something like that. I want to know where I can get that done. And then they kind of just start reading over it. Then they put the football thing together and see the name on there. And they're like, oh, they asked me, do you know Witten? Do you know Romo? I'm like, yeah, I played with those guys. And uh, Dez, they, they talk about all those guys. It's pretty cool. But uh, the boat does its job. It gets the popularity going as far as the, you know, fishing these tournaments. It seems to help out a lot. Well, you spoke about getting your name out there and getting cemented in the industry, but also your name, given what you've done and, and just your history there, you know, you can bring a lot of value to brands. And I noticed that you've really already started working with a few of the fishing industry companies, specifically Powell Rods and Profound Outdoors. Tell us a little bit about them and how those opportunities came about. Profound Outdoors came about. I jumped in one time on the phone. He talked me into fishing a PAA event on Fort Loud and Teleco and I fished that and I met Timmy Horton and we had some words we talked a little bit and he liked my aspiration for bass fishing and how I was going about it and we decided to do some things and link up from that and as far as Colorado I was working a little show for um, Profound Outdoors and um, a guy from Colorado was there and we talked a little bit and he passed Lance over to the owner Keith which he holds the spotted bass record was caught on a Colorado so I gotta throw that in there but um, you know Keith he put a sweet deal for me with Kyle Rods and it's been working out pretty great and um, I've gotten on with Triton Boat that's been doing really good and um, you know I'm just slowly going and trying to find companies to work with that I can stick with for the long haul but um, you know it seems to be working out pretty good. That's awesome uh, you know it's such an important part of what we do maybe more important for some than others obviously that you know trying to get some of that help to get out there on tour and those partnerships are so important in the sport and it's nice that you've already been able to tap into some of those things and uh, bring some value to the sport of bass fishing in general. You know, you do a quick Google search and typing in things about bass fishing and Gerald Sensabaugh and all kinds of things pop up. You know, I saw some articles on, you know, ESPN and a couple of news YouTube reels. So uh, it's great to have you involved in really helping to promote bass fishing as a sport. And uh, that's awesome. But but let's talk a little bit more about some fishing. So uh, I put this little scenario together, right? You got Cowboys owner Jerry Jones. Okay. He decides he wants to go back bass fishing with you here it is late november jerry's flying into tennessee for the visit you launch the boat this afternoon what's your first plan of attack how are you going to get Jerry a bite? I'm going to get Jerry a bite. Well, BCA likes, you know, they're dropping water right now. So all the shad and all the forage, they're all just spread out everywhere. And I see them busting the top water all the time, seeing bass bust the top water. So I'm going to try to put a top water bait, something like a spook in Jerry's hand, and hopefully I can teach him how to walk the dog. That's hopefully the first thing I want to know. You think Jerry can walk the dog? I don't know. <laughs> you might want to toss him a pop bar or something. <laughs> I might show a little pop bar. Yeah, you might, you might have to call it, like, pick six or something, Gerald. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was first trying to 
throw a spook out there. It's probably the easiest way to get a blow up out there. Like I say, it would probably take some time to teach Jerry how to walk the dog. I don't know if he'd be able to do that. Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, when people start getting into bass fishing, they think, oh, yeah, you know, we'll, we go bass fishing. And then they see some of the technical aspects that it takes to uh, work some of those baits correctly and, and figure out which ones that you have some comfortability with that become your strong points in the game. You know, they really start to get a little bit more respectful of the game that the Elite Series guys are playing out there, guys on the FLW Tour, and uh, how really difficult it is to be successful consistently in the sport. Oh, it is difficult to be consistent. What I've learned this year, a lot of times you're going to all these crazy lakes, these new lakes, some you might be familiar with, some require different techniques. Like, I mean, just going up north, it seems like everything is all drop shots, swim baits, and you're fishing a lot of open water. I found myself up north fishing so much open water. You know, down south, a lot of guys like to beat the bank, do a lot of that, and you know, it's pretty much open water grass everywhere. So working baits and trying to figure it out, it's always challenging. That's one of my favorite parts about the sport is just trying to figure it out and trying to figure out how to work this bait to make them hit this thing. And right. uh, it takes a lot of time and effort. Was it surprising for you this year that you got your best finish and your best paycheck this year at the place that was farthest away from your home up at Lake Champlain? Was that surprising for you? Yeah, it was surprising. I thought I should have done better. I actually had a two-pound penalty on the, the first day. So it knocked me back two pounds. I caught 15 pounds, which went to 13 pounds. And then 17 and a little bit of change the second day. But it was surprising. I found a pretty good area on Champlain where I could throw a bait out there. And it was just three pounders. The first day I caught my limit of three pounders. And I had 15 pounds now. I went try to do some frog fishing to see if I could call with a big largemouth. But that didn't work out. And the second day I just stuck in this one little area. But um, it was fun. I kind of like fishing for those smallmouth. They're a little bit easier to catch. I mean, they come in. When you're catching them, you're catching serious numbers. And they're a lot easier to catch. It's just trying to find that good school of them, that good area that's holding the big ones. But, you know, Champlain was a great place. It was probably the best fish I've ever fished in my life. Or maybe I just found a lucky spot. I don't know what it was. But I was catching 25 fish a day. You know, my co-anglers did awesome. They all caught a pretty decent limit. They got checks. So my second day guys, he got a check. But if it wasn't for that two-pound penalty, I would have done a lot better. So I learned a little bit on time managing and um, had a hurt back, so I couldn't really run the boat as as I wanted to, but no excuses, but I really love Champlain. It's awesome fishing. Well, I share your sentiment there. Certainly, that is one of, I think, my top destinations that I like to fish. But, hey, quickly, as we approach the end here, Gerald, looking into your crystal ball, how does your fishing career go the next three years? If I had control of the crystal ball, yeah, hopefully I would qualify for the Elite Series and get to fish the Bass Masters Classic. That's always been a dream of mine. You know, I've always wanted to fish the Bass I've always watched it since I've been, you know, yay but I also want to get and crack into that elite series and fish against some of you guys. Hopefully get a couple wins there and hopefully that's how my crystal ball looks. I'm just going to keep trying my best and learning as much as I can and putting the time and effort in and seeing where it goes. Well, definitely in this crazy world of bass fishing, it takes some time and it takes some effort. I know that you'll put it into it. And Man, I really enjoyed you being on the show today, Gerald. You got any closing thoughts for our listeners? Just keep fishing and keep pursuing your passion. You know, football was my first passion. I got out there and uh, I was able to achieve that goal, and, you know, you have to keep trying to strive for something. So my next goal is to do the Bass Masters Elite Series and fish the Classic. Just keep striving for your goals and do whatever you can, work hard. Just do your best and give max effort. Well, Gerald, certainly good advice there. Best of luck in the coming year. We will certainly be watching your progress and really rooting for you along the way. Bass Edge Radio will be right back. 
you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. That was a fun interview. It was pretty interesting. You know, you get a guy coming from one sport to another sport. They can bring a lot, especially when they're coming from the NFL, (laughs) to bass fishing. So, you know, it's fun to kind of hear his progress and kind of follow what he's got going on. And uh, obviously, real intelligent fella. I think he's going to make a splash in bass fishing. Well, no question. I mean, I think it's pretty well known out there, whether it's in the business world or the athletics, that if you succeed at the highest level in one area... Normally, that mindset will carry over to propel you to do great things whenever you make that transition. And I still can't get over the guy has his vertical block three punts in one game. Can you imagine what it's going to be like if he's channeling that energy into bass fishing? You better look out, Kurt. I've got my eye over my shoulder. That's why, you know, kind of after the interview, I was asking where he's fishing next year. You know, I want to keep my eye on him. But uh, hopefully I'll run into him out on the road and uh, be able to chat a little bit more. And, and who knows? Just a cool situation for an NFL guy to be interested in bass fishing and want to take it to the next level. Certainly the correlation there between the NFL and and the upper levels of bass fishing, uh, I think we're going to see great things and I think it's going to do a lot for the sport. But speaking of sports, we are at the end of the fourth quarter and really want to thank our listeners for continuing to be with us here on Bass Edge Radio presented by Megaware Keelguard. I am Aaron Martin and for Kurt Dove, we will see you next episode right here on Bass Ed You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard Keel Protectors. The Edge is presented by Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com.